Hello, and welcome to Tech Connects, DICE's podcast where we dig into the topics on tech hiring, recruiting, and careers that matter to you. I'm your host, Nick Kolakowski, and I'm going to talk to great guests every month about the current state of the tech careers world, including the tech job market, the hottest tech skills, what companies are doing to attract and retain technology professionals in a historically tight market, and much, much more. Our next guest is Jean Cordesco, who's O'Reilly Media's Chief People Officer. As CPO, she's focused on how HR can tie a company's people strategy to its broader initiatives. She's advocated for HR to participate in the highest level decision-making to ensure the right people are being hired and retained, because that ultimately determines how well a company carries out its strategy and delivers for its customers. So let's listen in. So, Gene, thank you for being on. Um, like I said right before I hit record, I'm really fascinated to talk to you because, you know, there's there's a lot of interesting stuff going on right now in both the HR and the tech space. And um, as CPO of O'Reilly Media, obviously you have kind of this, this for one of a better term, a 35,000-foot view into kind of a lot of the issues and everything going on. And um, I guess before we kind of like kick into those issues, for for listeners who might not be aware of what a chief people officer actually does. Like what is like what is what is your day-to-day role? What 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 do you actually do? Sure. Well, thanks for having me. First of all, Nick, I right. really appreciate this opportunity. And uh, for those of you who are interested in, in what chief people officers do, I think interchangeably it could also be called a chief human resources officer. But when we really think at the crux of of the the roles and um and day-to-day life, I guess it's in its most simple form tying the uh, people strategy to business objectives and business growth. So ensuring that talent is aligned from the moment that we reach out to prospective talent in terms of alignment of skill, experience, uh, anything that we might need uh, that's niche to our organization to the time that uh, the company has recorded its growth. All of those things that have to do with people um, ultimately uh, need to be mobilized in order to ensure that we have the right talent in the right place at the right time to to execute on company growth. Yeah, I mean, it's obviously vitally important, and especially in a tech context, which most of our audience belongs to. Um, lately, there's sort of been an incredible focus on both hiring kind of the best talent for roles, which is which is obviously an incredibly vital function of HR, but also kind of retention as well. Um, we just did the, the DICE's sentiment report where we surveyed tech professionals, recruiters, HR experts on a number of issues. Um, and one of the stats that we pulled up was that something like 60% of tech professionals are likely to change employers over the next year. And these are vital people in the organization. These are AI experts, these are software developers, these are data scientists, these are everybody who are required to make sure that a business can kind of remain cutting edge. And so it, it makes me think, I mean, in in your view, how does how can HR kind of work with the broader structure of the organization to ensure, I mean, not only that there are good hires, but also that these hires want to stay kind of once they're in place and can continue to contribute to the organization. In a sure. I mean, way. those numbers themselves are just staggering when you yeah. think about how much the, uh, the labor force has shifted in terms of the way that we're just, or just the market itself in terms of um, how hot it is, how, how, again, specialized skills are in such high demand, how technology is, 
is the way the world works these days. And the fact that we don't even have enough talent to fill all of the technology jobs out there is, is truly staggering itself. But yes, I think it's so important for organizations to not only think about um, talent as a key source in developing and keeping a competitive edge, but also ensuring that you're giving employees prospective or existing employees an experience that feels memorable, that feels valuable, uh, that keeps people feeling very motivated um, and, and committed to the organization. Um, I think there are so many things that organizations can ultimately do, but uh, a couple things that come to mind when I think about this type of uh, sort of retention tactics that, that organizations ultimately need to employ is collaborative cultures are, are ones that I think are table stakes for a lot of organizations. But in this new world of working where we have remote, uh, often sort of remote only organizations or this hybrid work environment, I think it cuts down on the collaboration that we otherwise might have gotten if we were just sort of organically in the office together. And so those sort of, I don't want to call them forced, but I think those very intentional micro interactions and macro interactions for that matter, that give employees the opportunity to come together, to work together, to learn from each other um, and bring their diverse perspectives really goes a long way when you think about uh, ensuring that employees feel committed to, to an organization. I think there's no doubt that tech professionals need and, and are seeking continuous learning. Um, and so there, there has to be intention around ensuring that tech professionals are getting the professional development that they not only are seeking, but that they need in order to remain cutting edge and the skills that, that ultimately, you know, technology is demanding from them. And so I, I, I think oftentimes organizations can fall behind on that in terms of how do we how do we ensure that we're not only upskilling the broader force from a standardized perspective, but how are we also customizing each person's sort of personal learning journey to ensure that that employees, tech pros, are getting what they're looking for from a professional development perspective as well. It's it, um, sorry, go ahead. Did oh you no, no, I was just gonna, I was going to say one of the things that we found in survey after survey was actually that. In addition to the kind of the the usual staples like healthcare and everything else, that training, to your point, is one of those things that tech pros like really desire, like more so than all these other benefits. So I, I feel what you're saying, yeah, is is exactly. And you just think about all the cool new technologies that are coming out, and I think for somebody who's immersed in it every single day, uh, what a cool opportunity to be able to test and learn and and sort of play in in the sandbox, if you will, uh, to learn all of those new school uh, skills. It, it gives you an advantage, number one, just from a marketability perspective as an employee, um, which oftentimes can be a little bit of a risk that an organization takes and in. in making their, their folks more marketable. But you think about the growth that that, that ultimately uh, plays into as well from an organizational perspective, because you have so much innovation happening um, and the ability to sort of use those skills in a really, really meaningful way. Um, I, I think also there tends to be uh, a lack of clear line of sight to either vertical progression or lateral progression within organizations. And so people... Uh, you know, find an organization that they ultimately think might be the place that they they ultimately want to retire from, and 
uh, quickly they realized, my goodness, it's a lo- little bit more difficult to get promoted uh, than I expected. And it might just be because they don't fully understand what it takes to be promoted. And so I think if there's very intentional career progression conversations and uh, at O'Reilly, we're, we're in the process of rolling out a career framework. But I, I think organizations that give that very clear line of sight into How do you grow? What are the skills that are necessary for the next level? How do we give you individual development milestones to get to that next level really plays into somebody's commitment and loyalty to an organization? Because quite frankly, why else would they need to go anywhere else if they can if they can find that growth. That also plays really importantly into succession planning uh, that I'm not sure most organizations are awesome at. Uh, I think everybody can be better at it in terms of thinking about how you build that bench of sort of ready now talent to ensure that, you know, if there's a critical role that is vacated, you have people who are are skilled and ready to go to fill those jobs. Yeah. I mean, succession is definitely, it's, it's, Something that, I mean, it, it almost seems like a lot of companies kind of go out of their way to avoid. Um, and everything everything that you just mentioned, I mean, from the training to kind of the upward mobility and, the, and kind of the promotional structure and everything like that, it makes me think these are all aspects that are deeply interwoven into an organization. These are, I mean, I'm trying to choose the best metaphor, but it's almost like kind of the roots going down, you know, and, and entwining and kind of fueling everything. Um, and HR is intensely aware of the necessity of all these things, but the broader organization might not be. Um, and I'm sort of fascinated by like HR. I mean, other stakeholders in the organization might see HR as kind of siloed over here and doing things, but HR obviously realizes that it needs to be listened to and that it needs to be a part of strategic decisions that it needs to have a seat at that particular table. Um, and I was wondering, I mean, as a CPO, kind of what insights you have into that? Like, how can HR experts at companies ensure that they're being listened to and that the things that they realize are so important are also kind of recognized by the broader organization and hopefully implemented? I mean, that's, yes. that's the other key thing. Yeah. I, 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 I think this might be the favorite question of and the million dollar question, really, at the end of the day. Yay. When people ask me this question, I get really passionate about it because I think all too often HR is considered a support function. Um, a service function. Let's keep employees happy. Let's let's get people hired. Let's let's give them a, a good experience. And, and if people leave, we'll refill those roles and it just becomes that perpetual cycle. Um, and so when when bringing when being brought on uh, to execute on a strategic plan without actually contributing to the plan formulation, it feels like it's a little bit after the fact. And I think HR really needs to play a very key role and ensuring that they're at the table from the beginning or the onset of that strategic planning. Um, and so I think for any organization that are, is ultimately trying to charge forward and implement this sort of solid, unwavering strategy, they have to take their company's existing talent ability and skills into consideration. And then identify where that gap is. So what is our capability here? How do we assess people's potential? And then think about how we upskill our broader organization to be able to then again, mobilize against the strategic plan. I think HR's involvement in all of this, uh, at least in all of this high-level decision-making, is to actually force the difficult conversations, uh, which is not lost on anybody in HR. Oftentimes, there are a lot of, lot of difficult conversations um, that, that we have. But it's, um, it's to force that difficult conversation to happen around whether the strategy is actually realistically achievable through people. Um, and 
Um, and if they're involved from the get-go, that strategy will be set with very thoughtful um, and purposeful consideration um, and, and will give the company advantage to actually really be very strategic in terms of where do we need to hire externally in order to bring in skill that we think might take too much time to upskill our talent? How do we Again, be purposeful and intentional in terms of helping people build, you know, very beautiful sort of personal or professional development portfolio. And then where is the work that we're doing these days that needs to ultimately stop to alleviate or, or free up some capacity to, to focus on the most critical parts of the strategic plan. So I think as HR sits at that seat in the table, number one, they have to ultimately sort of force their way there. Um, but once they sit there, I think it gives a very different uh, lens to those who are part of that strategic planning exercise when you actually think about feasibility and the reality of actually getting it accomplished uh, through people. It, it seems like the, the 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 forcing of the conversation part would kind of be, I mean, and I'm sure there's there's kind of like tactical ways to finesse that conversation, whether it's just trying to figure out when to put that on the agenda or whatever. But I feel that um, at smaller organizations where everybody's kind of on a first name basis with each other, it might be a small team, it might be more of a startup configuration, that would potentially be simpler than at a larger company or am I thinking about it backwards? Because larger companies also have infrastructure and procedure to insert that kind of thing. Yeah, I think there's pros and cons to both. Um, I think in a smaller organization, the ability to be nimble and a bit more agile in terms of the planning and and pivoting where it's almost like a speedboat versus a a cruise ship, if you will. Um, I love to use that analogy in the sense that smaller organizations tend to at least hopefully tend to be able to move at this uh, speedboat uh, um, pace only because you you fail, you fail fast, you get back up, you keep going. And, and to be able to sort of make those turns and pivots is, is instrumental to your ability to um, grow quickly. At the bigger organizations, yes, there's infrastructure. There's uh, very standardized ways in getting things done. And and I don't know that there's one that's better than the other. It just often takes longer at these bigger organizations to be able to sort of move that rudder and steer the ship um, in the direction that you ultimately want to go. But I think in both circumstances, uh, regardless of whether you have sort of that that infrastructure and the ability to resources to to assess and and to uh to put towards the development or, or the strategic plan. And then smaller organizations that have to be a little bit more scrappy in the way that they, they get things done. I think both need to do it in a manner that doesn't think about so much the people as it is what is what we are ultimately trying to accomplish and then sort of letting the people be the overlay. So sometimes organizations make a decisions based on, oh, well, this person might not be able to do that. It's very based on that existing person in the role today. But as you just said at the beginning of our conversation, if 60% of people are ultimately thinking that they're going to be moving on in the next, you know, uh, or in the foreseeable future, you can't always rest your uh, your decision-making on the person who you have in the organization today. You need to really be thinking about it in terms of what do we need and who in this organization has that skill and capacity? And then how do we build a bench that can continue to succeed that person if they were to move on. Yeah, no, that makes total sense. I mean, the other part of the equation, at, at least the way that I'm thinking about it, I could be completely wrong, is that HR also needs to 
there's all sorts of technology and so on that's emerging right now that's fundamentally changing how business works. I mean, there's there's so much chatter right now, obviously, around generative AI and machine learning and large language models and things like that, which are in turn impacting company strategy, everything from how they generate content to strategic analysis and things like that. And HR obviously needs to be aware. They need to, in addition to kind of dealing with the boardroom, they also need to be aware of kind of what's coming from this direction, from the people who are um, throughout the the broader organization. Um, you know, and especially at a place like O'Reilly, you know, I'm sure that that that's really prevalent. How, in, in the way that you conceive of it, what's sort of the best way for HR experts to sort of keep their finger on the pulse, recognize kind of what's coming up, innovations and so on, kind of absorb that, this is, this is complicated, absorb that into how they're thinking and what they're doing, and then roll that forward potentially into strategy, convincing higher management to pay for training or however that sort of pans mm-hmm. out. Yeah. You know, so when I think about HR professionals across any organization, I think it spans so many different roles. And I think every role might need to think about technology in a different way. Um, I I think the knowledge itself is instrumental to the function's uh, success. And so um, whether it's a talent acquisition specialist or an HR business partner, I think the way in which they're going to absorb the information and use that knowledge to help set sort of a, a, a higher level uh, sort of decision or, or strategic plan may be a little bit different, but I think the knowledge itself probably needs to be the same. Mm-hmm. Um, I, you know, I, I think there's, it's, it's not lost on um, anybody in HR that your best uh, asset um, or, or val- most valuable asset are those who are internal, who mm-hmm. have the knowledge themselves. <laughs> and so I, I think the partnership between um, an HR business partner, for example, and the technology team to really understand the nitty gritty of number one, how are we getting our work today? Day, how are we getting our work done today? How do we need to think about the work of tomorrow? And how is technology going to enable us to get there? And and the more an HR business partner can literally just be uh, a fly on the wall or um, or going to meetings, um, webcasts, conferences, those sorts of things that, that are all internally focused, I think, give us a very good sense of how internally we're thinking about the enablement of technology and, and the growth of the organization. Uh, a couple of things that my team um, does, which I really appreciate, is uh, we uh, one of my talent acquisition specialists came in and uh, we hired him to be a technical recruiter. And although he had some technical recruiting experience, he it wasn't as robust as, um, as ultimately I think he wanted it to be. And so he came in and actually set up a very informal mentor-mentee relationship with one of the directors in our engineering team. And so on a weekly basis, they got together and talked about all the hot trends in technology and, and what did the recruiter need to know and what are the skills out there that we should we would be looking for and were to fill any voids or gaps that we have on our own teams. And it became this very wonderful partnership, not only because trust and credibility and rapport is built, but also because my talent acquisition specialist was literally learning so much that he came back to the table to teach my team so much about what he was learning. Um, we also have things called tea times uh, as part of our engineering group where uh, they the, the group the team comes together. Anybody is welcome, but the team comes together to talk about sort of hot topics or to solve challenges, uh, brainstorm on certain things. And I think 
uh, those opportunities are ones that HR professionals or quite frankly, anybody in the organization should really seek to try to understand more. And then uh, voracious reading. I think the more anybody can get out there and read and and understand what the upcoming trends are and how important it is uh, to then use as to be successful in your own role is is just instrumental to anybody's success. So uh, those are things I I hope my team is doing and I certainly employ myself. So the 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 mentorship thing is especially fascinating to me because a lot of companies sort of and it's fascinating that you implemented this. Um because a lot of companies sort of talk that talk in terms of like the need for mentorship and sort of wanting, but they don't um, sort of take concrete steps towards implementing something with that that knowledge sharing and that that cross silo um, transparency in terms of knowledge bases and things like that. So that that's really fascinating, and it also can accelerate so quickly when you see that kind of relationship happen. How fast people absorb stuff, it's great. I, I totally agree, Nick. And, you know, one of the things that I think, I, one of the areas I think that were ways in which I think in a mentorship program could fall flat is that if it doesn't feel like it's voluntary or something that somebody is passionate about doing, it, it just won't be something that they want to spend or will dedicate any time to. And so I think uh, we're in the process as part of our um, DEIB strategy, actually, to roll out a broader organizational mentorship mentee program. Um, but we're really only tapping into the people who truly want to be a mentor or a mentee. And, you know, it's I don't know that we'll necessarily mandate it as, you know, every every person at a director level or higher. And I've been at organizations that have done that, where it's it's your ex, it's our expectation of you at this level and higher to be a mentor to somebody more junior in the organization. Well, sometimes it's great, sometimes it's not, but it's because not everybody wants to be a mentor. So I think you have to find that sort of voluntary. Uh, passion around the subject in order to make it work. Yeah. Yeah. No, and I've, I've heard that from people who have, we actually had a guest on the show a while ago who was, who was going into and the, the voluntary aspect of it. Like you need, yeah, the, the sort of the emotional drive behind it is, is really key. Um, in terms of, I mean, not just mentorship, but, and especially since the pandemic, we've been seeing, at least in our data, um, sort of this this rise in interest in you have kind of your traditional benefits your again like your healthcare and things like that but then sort of an emerging focus on flexible schedules work life balance kind of kind of all of these these different things um and i'm just wondering in, in, are there for hr people out there who are wondering what they can do to attract and retain tech pros and other other employees um are there i mean emerging benefits new benefits things that are maybe kind of a little bit more cutting edge than traditional packages that are, that are pulling people in. I mean, training, things like that. I'm, I'm just curious if you're seeing anything out there along those lines. Yeah. You know, um, I, 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 when you, I really enjoy this question because I think there are things that organize, some organizations do that they might not just at, they just might not advertise as well as they should. And, and I think those, now organizations are kind of catching on of like, wow, that's an awesome benefit. And so they're implementing it as part of theirs. So you think about student loan repayment assistance. People come out of higher education in debt and severe debt. And um, if it's something that an organization organization can do to help their employee sort of alleviate, alleviate some of that burden, uh, I think the loyalty really comes from the employee. They have more of a paycheck to use. They have the ability to uh, to feel more financially free. And so that's something that I'm seeing be a higher trend more recently, just in what organizations are ultimately I'm trying to do to attract and retain talent. Um, you said it, flexible work arrangements. 
I think whether it's a four day work or just working when it works for your schedule, I think either way uh, needs companies need to uh, implement that. I O'Reilly is a fully remote organization with a very flexible work schedule. So we don't have a hybrid workforce, um, nor do we have any expectation that we'll ultimately go back to the office. And I think some people love that idea. Um, other people probably want more of that physical presence together. But I think when companies mandate that, especially when it was proven that that companies can still be profitable and successful during the height of COVID when everybody was remote, <laughs> it's hard to, I understand from a corporate real estate perspective and, and you know, rent payments and all that, um, you know, companies need people in the office. And there is so much benefit to having that interpersonal connection. But I think you can do that in a virtual way as well. But if companies are mandating to say you must be in the office for for just the sake of being in the office. I think it's going to deter a lot of people. And so I one of the things that I think will con- continue to be a trend is just the, that flexibility that, that employers are ultimately giving their employees. Um, one thing that is becoming more of a hot topic is wellness programs and, and not only talking about physical wellness, but also mental wellness. And so as companies start to think about how they provide perks and benefits for employees, I think the mental wellness uh, lens has been a little bit stronger um, than it has that I've seen in the past. And I think um, not because it's a new anything new, I think it's just more... Um, accepted to talk about these days and we should be talking about it. It's, you know, it's something that, that is so important. And when you have physical and mental wellness in employees, uh, it's, it's tremendously successful to the organization, but from an insurance perspective and all of that, it brings your premiums down uh, because you have a a fit and well uh, organization. And the last thing I would say, one thing that we've done here at O'Reilly, but I'm seeing there being a sort of bigger trend of it as well as an international work benefit where so many people uh, now have sort of the world at their fingertips and and would love to either be able to take a sabbatical and immerse themselves in a different culture or uh, be able to travel for an extended period of time and not have to take or exhaust all of their vacation time. Um, We implemented an international work policy where it gives anybody the ability to work from anywhere in the world for a month. Uh, And it gives, you know, and obviously making sure that it works with time zones and all that, but it really gives employees um, the opportunity to have life-changing experiences, like I said, without having to exhaust any of the the accrued vacation time that they've taken. Um, And and it's been something that is slowly starting to be used, but um, what a tremendous opportunity for those who would have the ability to go do that. That's amazing. That's really amazing. Um, Yeah. No, I mean, there's all sorts of like, travel and leisure photos spread images I have of, you know, being with a laptop and and typing. Um, And that, I mean, it seems like all that stuff in aggregate sort of contributes to, I guess what one would call like good culture for a company and like, like a welcoming, accepting one. Um, And it it makes me think too, I mean, there's been so much emphasis again with hiring retention and so on, on good culture. Um, In addition to like, I mean, obviously being able to, to hang out and work from some, amazing location remotely for a month, you know, benefits like that obviously contribute to good culture, but what else does and, and what, what can HR do to kind of promote that, that good culture? Cause it's so, it's so vital right now. Yeah. I think to me, a good culture within a company is often defined sort of by a positive work environment, shared values, clear communication, um, sense of belonging. 
I think at, at the core of it all, uh, defining and communicating core principles or values or tenets that, that the organization sort of lives by is paramount to ensuring that you've set expectations across the employee base in terms of not only what you expect from them, but also what they should expect from the organization in return. And um, it, it's just, I, I think it's just a huge, HR not only plays a crucial role in setting those those values, but ensuring that we live by them and, and communicate them very frequently. And so that that to me um, sets the foundation for a good culture. I mean, open communication is certainly one. I think the transparency effect where employees don't feel like decisions are being made behind a curtain and maybe they're actually contributing to some of those really important decisions is a really important thing. Um, diversity inclusion has always been something that I think has been important, but the importance even uh, is it might even be more uh, these days in terms of having those conversations and ensuring that people are feeling included and that they belong. Um, and the promotion of that is so important. And so ensuring that people feel like they can bring them th their authentic selves to work every day and to be able to do their best work because of who they are and how they are accepted and they belong to this, this core group of, of um, individuals is, is a really important piece to it. Um, and then I think Recognition. Everybody loves recognition in different ways, but we all need to be recognized at times. And so if there can be intention behind employee recognition programs or just ensuring that people feel valued um, and that they're motivated by uh, by whatever it takes to um, uh, to sort of recognize that person in an appropriate way uh, is, is really important. And so I don't know it should be that it should be a blanket recognition program in terms of everybody's going to be recognized in all hands meeting. But again, I think managers can be very, very prescriptive around. Let me determine how best you respond to recognition and let me make sure that I really give you the, the affirmation you need to know that you're you're valued and that your work is important. Yeah. No, and then I mean, work life balance. I mean, again, I think yeah. we talk about it, but uh, even more so than ever. <laughs> yeah. No, obviously. I mean, it's, yeah. I mean, it's it's so important. Um, you know, and I think people awaken to that. Obviously, that you know, that's something that that's incredibly vital to them remaining happy. Um, so, I guess I mean, my last question is: I mean, we're we're on the cusp of a new year, um, and I just want—I mean, what do HR HR what trends are emerging in terms of HR and hiring that you're seeing coming? I mean, what do people need to anticipate as they're kind of doing? Because this is like the height of strategic planning right now going into the next year. And I'm just wondering yeah. how you're ideating about that. Sure. Uh, you know, I think uh, it goes without saying that there's going to be an increased use of AI and automation. And I say that not because I believe that AI or automation will uh, uh, replace roles uh, or, or replace employees, but I think it's going to allow employees to do their work so much faster. Um, and so they're going to be able to see success in a in that speedboat um, manner as opposed to the, the cruise ship. And so it I, I, I see that that's going to be a huge focus um, for HR specifically in terms of how we can use AI to be more uh, successful um, as, as a function. So one thing that comes to mind um, specifically is uh, generative AI has the uh, ability uh, to revolutionize the way that we hire um, and actually can mitigate any bias that might uh, might be uh, sort of implicit bias, I should say, that's unintentional, that's sort of 
put in as part of the, the interview process by not only talent acquisition specialists or perhaps hiring managers as well. Um, it's going to give us the opportunity to scrub resumes. So names won't be there on there anymore. Um, you know, keywords uh, will um, that that tend to uh, either sway masculine or feminine, and people tend to write their resumes. Uh, you know, based on that, um, it it will neutralize those. We're thinking about job descriptions in the same way. We're going to neutralize our job description um, language to ensure that it's gender neutral, as opposed to saying. And the way that job descriptions are innately written are this tends to be a more masculine job and this tends to be a more feminine job. We want to make sure that we're bringing all of those things to light and, and promoting um, equal opportunity um, as part of use, the use of AI. Um, I think, as I've said, diversity, equity, inclusion is going to continue to be a trend as we as we think about um how employees respond to those programs, but how every organization can continue to build on that and, and make that, that conversation uh, one that is had. Um, there's no question that employee experience, and this is the whole purpose of this conversation, but there's no question that employee experience is at the, the tip of the spear in terms of a company's success and ensuring that they're retaining um, employees and, and that it, it's that hire to retire journey. So everything that is involved from the moment that we reach out to prospective employee to the time that they ultimately decide it's time to move on. Uh, everything that's in, encompassed in that is, is intentional and, um, and meaningful. And then I think a continued trend is, again, I think this, this remote and hybrid work, hybrid work arrangements. Um, I just, I, I, in, in all of the conversations that I've had with other heads of HR who are trying to grapple with this hybrid workforce, it's how do you actually overcome the resistance of coming back into the office if an organization really needs people to do that. And then there's actually one other that I, that just came to mind. And I think this is going to be one that we're going to, to see more so, um, is Skills-based hiring is going to be something that companies are going to really double down on. Um, and I think it's 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 because employers are increasingly moving away um, from the traditional hiring practices where it's focused on education and experience. And it's going to be very focused on a skill that an individual brings into the organization. So uh, from a tech perspective, you think about how early uh, kids these days are learning to code um, and and building their own software or computers or whatever whatever that whatever they're ultimately doing that's going to play so much into the future of how companies hire because you're. I don't know um, that everybody will need to ultimately go get their bachelor's degree or, or the equivalent thereof to find a good job anymore. And, and uh, it's it, it, it might be refreshing to some where it feels like college, again, as I've mentioned before, feels like that burden. Uh, it's a lot of money. People come out of it with a lot of debt. And if they can build these skills early on, companies will be more focused on, on hiring them for that as opposed to the education that they have. So. We've been seeing a lot. I mean, there's been a there's been a sort of a mega trend. I've I've read a couple of analyst reports over the last while about how the the skills based hiring really is. I mean, the, obviously degrees are important, but they've and they're not being de emphasized so much as companies are also now willing to be like, oh, you have this skill set, you can demonstrate it in a technical interview, and therefore we will hire you. And that's obviously great because it opens up the pool to people who have the skills. It certainly does. And you think about, um, you know, the fact that bachelor's degree uh, are less, or that I guess the need for a bachelor's degree is less um, prevalent on job descriptions now, as opposed to it might have been even, call it two or three, five years ago. Uh, I think it opens, as you mentioned, it opens up the pool, but it also taps into 
underrepresented groups and those who who just you know ultimately couldn't even um, think about that as being part of their their journey. Uh, now there's it, it, they have the world at their fingertips in terms of you know amazing employment, uh, amazing benefits, amazing employee experiences based on the scale that they've built. So uh, I hope that we continue to see that trend um, continue. I'm also really excited about. Um because for so long, I mean, with generative AI in the context of hiring, there were there were some notable errors way early on, like a couple of years back, you saw all these experiments run where the language model, you know, would accidentally demonstrate bias or something like that. And now that we're getting more sophisticated and these large language models are getting obviously a lot larger um, and, and, and better at what they do, it's going to be exciting to see, I think, in terms of how effective they can be now that people sort of recognize where they need to put the guardrails and how to design these systems to kind of be optimized for, as you were saying, you know, kind of non-biased hiring and things like that. Totally agree. It's 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 going to open up a whole new world of the way that we're thinking about it. And it's going to be really exciting to watch. That's it, folks. I thought it was fascinating to talk to Jean, who thinks very deeply about how HR can supercharge how organizations carry out their strategies and keep their tech professionals happy. Here are just a few takeaways from our conversation. First, if you're a manager or involved in HR, it's important to recognize that talented, highly specialized workers have their pick of jobs and they'll leave for a new employer given the right motivations. You need to be very conscious about whether you're providing a memorable, valuable experience to your employees, and that goes beyond just salary. For example, collaborative cultures, flexible schedules, and continuous learning can all persuade valuable employees to stay on board your company. Second, it's important to talk to your reports and team members about career progression. Where does an employee want to go? What training do they need to get there? If a tech pro feels like their organization is committed to their growth, they're far more likely to stay and deliver their best work. Third, HR is often considered a support function, but HR needs to play a key role from the beginning in strategic planning. They need to take a company's existing skills and resources into consideration, figure out where there's a gap, and help formulate a plan to close that gap. And in the end, that'll be better for everyone. We covered a whole lot of other topics during the episode, of course, so give it a re-listen if there was something you missed. We'll see you next time. And remember, DICE is your best resource to find the tech talent you need to fill your open roles. And for technologists, the best place to grow your tech career. 